This week in the parish of bourses and market structure. A new DB1 CEO is scheduled for 2024. 63 Moons has another bagatelle deal. Brian Winterflood dies. And we have gift liftoff. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Episode 201. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business, sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. In BitCarnage this week, there was talk of resurrection. Personally, I retain zero faith in the resurrection of FTX Exchange internationally, but it seems that liquidator John J. Ray is determined to do so, and indeed it offers his most feasible path to some form of creditor redemption, or possibly a deep, dark, black hole of non-productive spending. At the same time, clearly a whole new tech stack sans god mode is required, and I wonder just how you justify that as a spender. I remain spectacularly cynical that this is a sound move. Indeed, within Exchange Invest, commodities Doyen and Berg applied mojuste precision to the topic, noting, at the risk of sounding fatuous, there's no there there. The restructuring of whatever it had been simply makes it a newly created exchange. A new name, owners, officers, an operating mode, and business plan. If you enjoyed this excerpt, you may be interested to know that you can read BitCarnage every day and exchange invest. Alternatively, if you want to follow BitCarnage, the daily update on happenings in the world of crypto and digital assets and market structure, then you can find BitCarnage as a standalone on Substack. Back to the legacy bourse world, the majority of happenings in the world of marketplaces. Nasdaq welcomed 60 IPOs in the first half of 2023, securing an 88% win rate for listings in the US market. Two of the three largest operating company IPOs by proceeds raised their funds on Nasdaq to boot. Fabulous six months there. Nonetheless, it wasn't as if the New York Stock Exchange was exactly in sleep mode. They had an industry-leading 12 transfers, bringing nearly $100 billion in new market capitalization to NICE, while NICE also had the largest IPO of the year to date. Meanwhile, Hong Kong exchanges, they're going great guns all round. Their new IPO settlement platform, Fini, will launch in October. It's going to be a very interesting update to the Hong Kong exchanges group portfolio, slimming settlement times for IPOs down from T plus 5 to T plus 2. Indeed, that led the CEO of Hong Kong exchanges, Nicholas Agazin, to say that the Superconnector Hong Kong's best days are ahead as the bourse operator celebrated six years of Bond Connect. Meanwhile, Hong Kong exchanges also signed a cooperation agreement with the Beijing Stock Exchange. If only things were so cheery in London, the London Stock Exchange's chief slammed pension funds over attempts to block city reform. And for once, La Hoggett is absolutely right to complain. UK funds don't support UK stock markets, and it's a disgrace as their jobs-worth risk-off attitude is costing jobs and economic growth to the UK and further afield. 
Meanwhile, the European Union, as described in the Brussels Bugle, the banker's favourite, EU bows to exchange fares with stock trading planned. A typically milk toast piece from the Brussels Bugle in this case, which clearly wanted to defend banks at all costs in the true European Union manner. For once, the exchanges have prevailed. Bravo to Faze in this respect, in the face of what was yet another imbecilic bank-led push which would have harmed EU markets. The net result? A post trade tape with every single trade upon it. A very useful step forward, but actually that's just, well, a degree of decoration. The European Union needs massive reform if it's going to succeed and compete with the USA or even Asia in the near future. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up Or, if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Speaking of competition, at last a voice of some reason. Danuta Hubner, nowadays an MEP, previously a commissioner, she has proposed ditching mandatory euro derivatives clearing quotas for now. It's a logical feint, as demented ideologues in Brussels pursue an approach which threatens to upend the concept of the euro as a freely tradable currency and reduce it to ruble status without any of the exciting growth allure of other non-deliverable currencies that are not fully exchangeable in the world market, such as the Indian rupee or the Chinese renminbi. Final news this week in the top tier of the exchanges world, the Tokyo Commodity Exchange building is going to be demolished and redeveloped. Now, of course, Tokom is within the grasp of JPX Group and operating out of their HQ. One note about Brexit, the finance sector tells UK regulators to use new post-Brexit remits. Some progress, it remains to be seen how this bill, which received royal assent last week, pans out as Britain hovers from what looks like one socialist government to another next year. The notion of a rocket boost from the legislation surmises the current malaise in the blob, which seems to think if they hype stuff enough, it will be true. Deal news this week, not a lot, just one comment from Deutsche Börse, along with the announcement that their CEO would be standing down in due course at the end of his contract. We hear that uh, the $4 billion deal for Simcorp is thus the pinnacle of the Theodor Weimar era by the looks of it, but there may be some small deals to come. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you're trying to work out what is the future of finance, how these markets mesh together, and indeed, what is the role of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and so on within the fintech and the broader financial world, you ought to pick up a copy of my most recent book, Victory or Death. Victory or Death is published by DV Books, and it's available, distributed via Ingrams worldwide, and you can, of course, get it in Amazon and all great bookstores around the world. While you're waiting for your copy of Victor Death to arrive, don't forget to check out our live stream. We had a hiatus for July the 4th. Happy Independence Day belatedly to everyone in the United States of America. Coming on Tuesday, IPOVID Livestream 113 with an old, well, good grief, an old lag from the world of the floors. My old friend Scott Shelody, he's going to be chewing the market cud with the cow guy. And we look forward to that on Tuesday at... 7 p.m. Central European Time, 1 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock London Time. Meanwhile, in our Finance Book of the Week segment, we've been choosing interesting books pertaining to exchanges and markets investment at all. And indeed, 
Last Saturday, July the 1st, marked the 24th anniversary of my very first book, Capital Market Revolution, The Future of Finance in an Online World. I remember the week very well. It was published in London with a launch party at the British Library in the middle of International Derivatives Week. Those picking up the book right now might struggle to recall the radical nature of the tome at the time, as with hindsight, so much seems just so logical. But at the time, I can assure you, it is not. And I can well recall the Luddites eager to stop the message. In retrospect, CMR, Capital Market Revolution, was the first best-selling book of fintech a decade before that term even gained traction. It's a pacey read and there's all manner of stuff in there like electronic money, the future of financial centres, the rise of prediction markets, how the ETF would become the staple of the fund industry and much, much more, including of course how electronic for-profit exchanges would become the dominant model of commerce in 21st century markets, with CCPs becoming increasingly the epicentre of market property. Capital Market Revolution delivered a new vision of financial markets outlined clearly and succinctly in print for the first time. The career of its author, Patrick L. Young, myself, remains, of course, a matter of life and pith. Grab a copy now. There's still second-hand ones around. Like you can get them for only good grief, something like $5 or better still. Why not pair that by going to Amazon and getting yourself also a copy of Victory or Death? Product news this week. LIBOR is over. We still need more benchmarks to replace it, says Barron's, which directly contravened something that was said, a shocking announcement by the Bank for International Settlements, who essentially turned round and said, well, we're not really that fussed on the idea of credit-sensitive risk benchmarks for interest rates. Bad news all round. What a shocking statement. First of all, I don't believe it's within the remit of IOSCO to actually dictate what products should or shouldn't be issued, although we have seen problems in this area before from the likes of the FCA in the past. Ultimately, the problem is the blob. The blob got rid of LIBOR. The LIBOR's vacuum has therefore created a huge opportunity and we're going to see multi-competing benchmarks. Whether or not the likes of IOSCO are willing to endanger the entire probity and safety of the financial system going forward by refusing the opportunities of risk transfer remains to be seen, but it's a very, very foolish move. Good news, the Nifty 50 has been relaunched at the new NSE exchange in Gift City. That's the NSE International Exchange, which involves the participation of the Singapore Exchange as well. Most exciting day that Monday, we saw lots of decent volume and also an all-time high from the Nifty 50 itself, clearly breaking through 19,000. Will it reach 20,000 in the near future? Interesting to see. Technology news this week. Well, let's get some good news out of the way first. The Deposito Central de Valores in Chile. It's going to be digitizing securities, leveraging Nasdaq technology. It's an interesting move. Does this presage the adoption of Nasdaq by the joint Chile, Colombia and Peru merged exchanges? I wonder. Then we get to, well, the rather less edifying news of the week. Two stories. One of them, uh, an ongoing fester, which has been happening for years. The first one, something that's only been festering for, well, about the better part of six to nine months. But nonetheless, it's deeply embarrassing. MCX, the Multi-Commodity Exchange of India, have renewed their software services contract with 63 moons for an additional six months because TCS, Tata Consulting Services, are incapable of delivering even to their second delayed 
benchmark agreed delivery date. TCS have blithely overpromised and not delivered at all. 63 Moons, meanwhile, which of course has Financial Technologies International, was the original founder of the MCX and the provider of their software for well over a decade. They're laughing all the way to the bank as Jigna Shah enjoys an incredible six-month bounty. $30.5 million is being paid to Jigna Shah and 63 Moons for the provision of six months more of technological provision. In terms of what ought to be happening at MCX, well, heads ought to be rolling for starters. But then again, when you really mess up that badly, you just fire a few C-suite minions and get highly inexperienced replacements in, just like ASX as nothing ever touches the Teflon chairman and board. Speaking of which... The ASX's leading competitor in Australia, SIBO, they have blasted the governance of the chess project and not without, well, a vast amount of good reason at the same time. It's only fair for SIBO Nietzsche XOS to be apoplectic as the perverse structure of ASX's upgrade placed them on the hook to pay part of the bill with essentially no input to the management, management being a very pejorative term there, of the whole project. Project also being, as we know, a complete and utter failure and fiasco. And as we know, CBOs have just updated their tech with a state-of-the-art smooth process where ASX tech execs have looked completely and utterly incompetent, blithely incapable of managing the tech stack within the new chess project. Then there's, of course, the outbreak of total irony. The ASX, I don't know what to make of this, sponsored Australian Blockchain Week last week. I suppose when you have already spent $250 million on the concept that didn't deliver another $70 million on what was definitely not compensation. No, no, people, we were not compensating anybody. We just paid $70 million out because um, our, um, I don't understand anything about ASX anymore. But it was given to the user community. So maybe it was just a bribe, if not compensation. Who knows? Anyway, there was a huge write-down for all that IP that never really existed, never really happened. So... ASX comes up with the smart idea of why not sponsor a conference to showcase that you aren't able to be part of the community apart from writing lots of checks and being unable to talk to your vendor. Then again, it doesn't it show a heroic lack of awareness from the Oz blockchain industry to take the shilling of the organization who single-handedly undermined DLT adoption through their own crass failure. In reality, I presume they've used the Pride Month sponsorship justification, aka your corporation doesn't have to be whatever it is, to support whatever event it happens to be. So too, ASX can identify as a technology company and sponsor Australian Blockchain Week. Career paths this week, well, as already mentioned at the top of the show, Deutsche Börse's CEO, Theodor Weimer, said he would not pursue another term when his contract runs out next year, as expected. Weimer has had a steady and unspectacular run at DB1, which, after his predecessor's disaster tenure was no bad thing I suppose at the same time DB1 feels a much more parochial entity than when it was a leading tier one property in Young's pyramid of exchanges 20 years back who will be the next CEO that'll be a very interesting sight to behold Power Exchange India they've appointed a new MD Satyajit Ganguly will be MD and CEO replacing Prabhajit Kumar Sarkar meanwhile ECX they've got a new deputy CEO Hailu Nagusi and Clearstream Banking have appointed Stephanie Eckerman as CEO following the departure of Bertold Krak set in Thailand they've appointed Chachai Thisadol Deluk and Pirate 
Thanan Chaisang as new executive vice president. And the sad news of the week, the pioneer, one of the pioneers of the SME stock markets of London, and therefore, of course, the AIM, the alternative investment market, Brian Winterflood has died. It's very sad to hear the demise of Mr. Winterflood, whose energy helped create the move towards AIM and similar SME stock market listing venues from the unlisted securities market, which he was instrumental in finding in 1980, and then later, of course, the AIM initiative under the LSE. Winterflood was awarded an MBE for his services to financial markets and set up his own investment firm, Winterflood Securities, in 1998, which was acquired by Close Brothers Group in 1993. He remained a non-executive director until January 2016, prior to retiring in 2017. It's a very sad loss from London's stock market and particularly the SME end of the business. One other departure from the parish this week, although he's just retiring. Farewell then, Rich Repetto, who received a generous standoff of a bell ringing ceremony and reception at the New York Stock Exchange last Thursday, and also an interview with the Financial Times. I hope you enjoy a long and happy retirement. Now you're leaving the parish, Rich. Meanwhile, in Big World this week, our July the 4th issue headlined the fact that there was news in Big World that Joe Biden has given limited support to geoengineering, aka blocking the sun, to limit global warming. Lest you think this is all a complete farce, the story was in Politico, no less, which isn't the sort of place that you tend to get farcical stories. Well, other than political stories, which can be farcical. Anyway, the political story leads to the interesting notion that perhaps Joe Brezhnev has more than a hint of Montgomery Burns in his makeup. Montgomery Burns, you will recall, is listed as being between 81 and 104 years old and the owner of the nuclear power plant in The Simpsons. He famously blocked the sun in Season 6, Episode 25. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. I create marketplaces around the world and also am the founder of Exchange Invest, the Bourse Bulletin daily delivered to your inbox, the exchange of information. I wish you all a great week in life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.